Peace of the Lord be with you. I uh, want to preach using the ESV, English Standard Version. Uh, I think the text that was read to us was from the NIV. Yeah? But anyway, that's, that's what most people use. But of late, I found the ESV really interesting. It's a, it's a very good translation. Uh, let, me, let me put it this way. You are familiar with King James Version, right? But it's very difficult to read, right? With all the D and the Tao and all that. So they have simplified it to New King James Version. Am I right? You are, you are familiar with that. Likewise, then there is the NIV, okay, which is a much simpler English. But then at the rate English is going, uh, NIV has been also simplified. Uh, it has become NLT. New International Version has become New Living Translation. Okay. Then there is the Revised Standard Version. Okay, which uh, tries to follow the exact format of the Hebrew and the Greek uh, the way it was originally written to the best of their ability. So they, they try to retain the, 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 the format, the structure, and all of that. But then, then the English is a bit tough. So what they have done is they have come up with the ESV. So ESV, English Standard Version, is a simplified version from the revised standard version. I've not been paid any money to promote the ESV. Okay, just in case. And nowadays, you've got to knock out a lot of things, you know, before. You must say what you mean and what you don't mean also you've got to say. Right? So I, I'm not being given any money. But I've found that this is really good. And I'm using the ESV Study Bible. Right? I got a bigger one, but I didn't want to bring that to frighten you, so I brought the smaller one. Uh, so for those of you who have a problem with uh, the, the, the tinier text and so on, you, you can always get the, the larger print, right? But it is really very good. And I also enjoy the notes down there in the, in the ESV study Bible. Okay, I better not say all of that too much, but at, at least you know the, the text that I'm using. Um, let, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this morning. Thank you, eternal God, for your presence that is already here with us. It is our joy, it is our privilege to come and meet you here. You are everywhere. But we are glad to come and meet you here with our brothers and sisters in Christ to, to worship you, to look into your word, to see what you would say to us through the preacher. And that we may be able to further reflect on the passage and apply it to our lives, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask of you. Amen. There was this mother. She was trying to help her son with um, his, his homework and so on. And in that homework, she came across two words that she was afraid the son, the young son, will not be able to differentiate between the two words. One was the word conscious, and the other was the word conscience. Are you following me? Conscious and the word conscience. And the, the mother said, 
to the boy, asked the boy, do you know the meaning of these two words? Surprisingly, he said, yes, I know. But just to be sure, she said, okay, tell me, what is conscious? And the boy said, conscious is when you are aware of something. She said, okay, good. How about conscience? This is how he defined it. He says, conscience is when you wish you were not aware of something. I don't know how to explain that to you. If you got it, you got it. Okay, if you don't get it, then ask the person who is laughing. Right? <laughs> then the point is this. The point is, conscience recognizes truth. And conscience does not decide what the truth is. Conscience just recognizes truth. And conscience the God-given conscience within, within us points us to the truth. And for some people, because they had trained themselves to reject the truth, then their conscience points to any direction that they choose. But God-given conscience always points us to the truth, just like the compass will always point to the true, uh, true north. Right? And in this passage that has been read to us, and the passage before, the passage after, we see the trial of Jesus take place, and we see in these passages how conscience is either ignored or conscience, conscience is even sacrificed. Then the trial of Jesus begins with the people not following their conscience, their God-given conscience. And we see how truth is, has become a victim as a result. And so in, in reality, truth is sacrificed when the conscience is either blunt or dead, then con uh, truth itself is sacrificed. And Jesus appears in this passage, firstly before the religious leaders. So before um, verses 28 and so on, we, we find that Jesus was actually brought to the religious leaders. Then there was a trial there. Right? And I'm, I'm speaking from this passage to you because, uh, and I'm going through quite quickly rather, because I understand that you have already read these passages. Am I right? Or at least you should have. Okay. And if you haven't, then you would want to after this. Okay? So before going to sleep tonight, better read all these passages. I had I, actually initially given a different passage to preach from. Then I found out that uh, you all are reading uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and all that. Then I felt very bad on Thursday. So I said, okay, now never mind, change the text. Okay? So I, I decided to use the text that you are uh, also looking at. And, and, and you know, if you have read this passage, you, you, you know that Jesus first appears before the religious leaders and they question him. And then they take him and they send him to Pilate the governor. And in the trial, we see the religious leader's conscience has actually been shipwrecked. They had rejected the truth altogether. They had actually thoroughly compromised. And, and they are doing the wrong, but thinking that it is the right. Or rather, if I can put it to you this way, they want 
the wrong to be the right. And I'll explain that a little bit more. They wanted to believe what they wanted to believe. And, they, and what they wanted to believe, they saw it as the truth. And so the Sanhedrin handed Jesus over to be crucified because the main thing for them is that they wanted to keep the peace. And I dare say to you, they wanted to safeguard their own positions. They were afraid if the crowd began to follow Jesus, the Roman authorities would come and deal with the Jewish people in a very severe manner. And of course, if the Roman authority would come and deal with the Jewish people in a very severe manner, then the religious people, they would lose their own authorities. These were all their concerns. If you're reading through the Gospel of John, incidentally, I decided to preach from this passage because I'm also doing my quiet time based on these passages. Right? And if you see all that is happening, it is clear they are there to safeguard their own position and they, they, they are thinking how to keep the peace rather than how to defend the truth. They were no more guided by the truth. These are religious people, mind you. They were no more guided by their conscience or by the truth. They were guided by anything that was beneficial to them. That was bottom line. And then he's handed over to Pilate. Pilate's conscience actually followed popularity. Pilate listened to the charges that they, they, they brought against Jesus, but and, and, and he had the power, the authority to release Jesus because he knew that it was really nothing. The charges brought against Jesus were really nothing. But he was thinking what people would think of him. They would probably even ask, and, and later they would ask, you know, if you're a friend of Caesar and so on, then you must not let this man who claims to be the king, you cannot let him go. So he, he was worried. What would people think of him, where his allegiance lied? And you look at Pontius Pilate himself, you, you, you realize that he's not sure what truth is. In fact, he would ask Jesus this question, what is truth? He made light of truth. He's a stranger to the truth. He gave in because he had no personal commitment to the truth. So he gave in to the request of the religious leaders who had already shipwrecked their conscience. Then we see Jesus standing in all their presence. But we look at him and we find he stayed on with the truth. He was actually appealing to the conscience. In, in, in both the, the, the passages, we find that when Jesus appears before the religious leaders and also Jesus appears before Pontius Pilate, the governor, Jesus appeals to their conscience. He's saying things to them. He was asking them to weigh the truth that was present before them. He is even saying to them, if you look at chapter 18, verse 20, he would say to them like this, he'd, he'd say, 
I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me and what I said to them. They know what I said. Basically, he's saying that if you don't believe what I'm, what I'm saying to you, if you don't believe in, in, in all that I've thought and so on, then go and ask those who have actually heard my teaching. See if there is any flaw in my teaching. Then, of course, we see in the passage, in verse 21, chapter 18, verse 21, uh, uh, verse 22, Jesus was actually struck by one of the officers who was found there amongst the religious authority. But Jesus basically said to him, if I have not answered truthfully, you prove it. But if I have answered correctly, you have no right to ill-treat me. And so what we see is that Jesus was demanding justice. Jesus answered him, verse 23, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong, but if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Anas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. The religious leaders were absolutely corrupt. They sacrificed the truth altogether. And then they are trying to find someone who will execute Jesus, someone who had the authority to execute Jesus. And they sent him to Pilate. And Pilate was a stranger to the truth, no conscience in him. He hands Jesus over back to them to be crucified. But Jesus standing on the side of the truth, demanding for justice. He, Jesus will not be intimidated by their tactics, by their bullying tactics. I want to draw three lessons from this passage. Firstly, we must not silence truth. You see, Jesus was not sent to Pilate suddenly by an irrational group. The religious people, the so-called wise people who, know, who knew the scripture, the Old Testament scripture, but they actually got together, they planned it so well, they'd given it much thought, and they were the ones who sent Jesus to Pilate in order to be crucified. They knew exactly what Pilate must do, what he would do eventually. And so they challenged him and handed Jesus over to Pilate. But all of that very carefully planned. They planned to get rid of Jesus because they were afraid that Jesus was upsetting the peace. And if you look at the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 45 to 48, you also see that actually they were jealous of Jesus, that the people were actually following Jesus. The religious authorities were jealous of him. Now, let me ask you a few questions. You have read the passage. Was it for truth or was it for peace that they sent Jesus to Pilate? Was it for the sake of truth or was it for the sake of peace that they sent Jesus to Pilate? I'm asking you, 
If you have read the passage or you want to take a guess, you tell the person next to you. Then I give you the correct answer. Or maybe I will not give you the answer. Okay? Whatever. Let, let me ask you another question. Is peace more important? Or is truth more important? Is keeping the peace more important? Or is keeping to the truth is more important? You're very quiet this morning. You should have had the coffee that I had this morning. Let me ask you one more question. Was it for God that they fought Jesus? Was it for the sake of God that they fought Jesus? Or was it to consolidate their own positions that they fought Jesus? I, I, I think I've given you the answer for this, right? Now let me get a bit more personal because it's always easier to talk about other people. Let me get a little bit more personal. Are you interested in truth or are you only interested in what benefits you? In the way that you operate daily, are you interested in the truth or only in what benefits you personally? Now I'm getting personal. Or let me put it to you this way. Will you compromise if the truth does not suit you? Will you compromise if the truth does not suit you? Let me give you an extreme illustration. There was this married couple, studied medicine at the end of their uh, graduation, became doctors, and they got married. But they also decided that they want to pursue further studies. And even as they got married, decided that they want to pursue further studies in medicine, they decided that it will not be convenient to have children. So they decided they, they will not have any children, but they will continue their studies, married, and so on. And both of them, incidentally, were very committed Christians if I can put it to you like that. But one day they found out the wife was pregnant. But it was not convenient, like I said. It was not convenient for them to have children. So they discussed this among themselves. Nobody knew about it. Just the husband and wife, both medical doctors, discussed it. And they said, this is not convenient for us to have a child now. And so the man decided that he knew something about abortion. Both of them agreed to the abortion, and he decided that he knows something about abortion, and in the quietness of their home, that they would attempt this abortion. Something went wrong, and the wife died. The wife died. You see, I, I say this, like I say, it's a very extreme illustration, but I, I'm saying this to tell us that when it was not convenient for them, for the couple, 
supposedly committed Christian people, when it was not convenient for them, they just began to rationalize and they felt that it was all right to terminate the baby. In the process, they terminated two lives. So we who believe in the truth, we must practice it. If we don't practice what we know to be truth, then we are actually silencing the truth. You see, when we silence the truth, we are killing our conscience. The second lesson is this, that we must not pursue popularity. Pilate was not interested in the truth. He was concerned with popularity. Pilate can see Jesus had done nothing wrong, at least not serious enough to be crucified. But we see that he does not stand up to his responsibility. In fact, in chapter 19, when you read the passage, there, there'll be this uh, discussion between Jesus and Pilate. And, and Pilate would say to Jesus, I have authority to release you. Speak to me. I have authority to release you. And, and he wasn't kidding. In fact, he had that authority. Humanly speaking, he had that authority to release Jesus. But he would just give in to the pandering of the crowd. Because popularity was more important for him. Because he wanted to sustain uh, to, to be sustained in his position as the governor. And so popularity was more important. You see, those of us who know God must be concerned with the truth because God is truth, God is on the side of the truth, and truth matters to God. And so you and I must learn to speak the truth. Of course, I would humbly say, please speak that in love, of course. But sometimes it's not the easiest. When you speak the truth, even if you try to speak that in love, it sometimes doesn't come across so well. But the truth must be spoken. In the 14th century AD, there was this um, lady by the name of Catherine. Uh, she, she came to be known as Catherine of Siena. Siena is a, is a place somewhere in Italy. It seems she was a very extraordinary woman. It seems in her earliest childhood, uh, from her earliest childhood onwards, she had these visions and she practiced extreme spiritual disciplines, fasted, prayed, uh, and, and, and things like that. At the age of 18, she decided to join this uh, laity branch uh, because the, the, the Dominicans had two branches. One is for the, for the clergy, one is for the laity, the lay people. And she joined the, the, the laity branch of the Dominicans. And she began to serve God uh, through, uh, through that order within the, the church then. And, and she also is said that she had a, a lot of um, profound mystical experiences and, and, and she went out, she cared for the, people, for the sick, the, and she even dressed up the, those who were suffering from leprosy and things like that, those who had skin cancers. She, she ministered to them, she uh, dressed up their wounds and so on. And one day when the Pope 
had come to hear about her, Pope Gregory XI, had come to hear about this Catherine of Siena um, for, for, for her deeds and, and for her, the, the way she had lived, her spiritual life. It seems the Pope said, uh, summon her, come and, and, and see him. And, and she went. Uh, the, the Pope at that time was in France, and, and so she went to see the Pope. Now, any one of us, if we had the opportunity to go and see the Pope, probably we will rehearse some nice things to say. I, I do not know about you, at least I would. Probably a hundred times, probably a thousand times, rehearse some very nice uh, things to say to the Pope. But when she went to see the Pope, it seems this is what Catherine did. She, she met with the Pope and she said, uh, I, I can smell the stink of hell in Avion from far away. The Pope was in a place called Avion in France, and she said, I can smell the stink of hell in Avion from far away. And it seems the Pope asked her, how have you, who have been here for such a short time, got knowledge of all that goes on here? He also know things there were stinking. So he admitted and asked, how did you know? It seems she said, I, I could smell this from far away. In other words, from 1,400 miles away where, where she was coming from, she said, I could already smell the rotten things that is taking place where the Pope was. You see, that, that's not a very popular thing to say. And especially to the Pope, you cannot say like that. Even to the pastor also cannot talk like that. Very unpleasant. But still, it is the truth. It's still the truth. Why did she say it, nevertheless? Because popularity is not important. Even in church sometimes, and this is what sometimes is very heart-wrenching for me as I go from meetings to meetings and see all the big-time people in the church and so on, even in church sometimes. You know, we just make popular decisions rather than righteous decisions. Seriously, I say to you. You, know, you and I must learn this, friends. The crowd that can make you feel popular one day can turn around you, can turn against you another day. The same crowd that said to Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna, turned around and shouted, crucify, crucify. But Jesus, of course, will not be taken in by the crowd. Popularity is not important to him, but it was to Pilate. So don't be taken in by the crowd. Stand on the side of truth. Stand on the side of God. In fact, when you stand on the side of truth, God will stand on your side. To be faithful is more important. 
Sorry, let me rephrase that. To be faithful is important, full stop, not more important. To be faithful is important. Popularity does not sharpen conscience. In fact, popularity can blunt our conscience when we just go with the crowd. The third lesson is this, don't be threatened by untruth. When we are questioned about our faith or about anything that we have done, we must say what we must say and not say more. Jesus stood and, and replied to the religious authorities. The court officer, the religious court officer uh, hit him. But Jesus stood on the side of truth. He was not afraid. But incidentally, I, I want to point this out to you, and maybe I am digressing a little bit, but I think it is a worthwhile digression. In Matthew chapter 5, you find this. Jesus said, when someone hits you on one cheek, what must you do? Turn the other cheek. What does that mean? If you come and hit me here afterwards, I'd say, please, here also. Is that the meaning? Because a lot of times we think it is like that, right? If you don't understand that passage, fine. Look here in this passage. When Jesus was hit on one cheek, what did he do? Do you read the passage or not? What did he do? He said, hey, here, 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 it was so empty. Go ahead. Is that what he did? No, right? Meaning... We need to understand properly, properly uh, we need to understand properly Matthew chapter 5. Right? What did he actually mean by giving the other cheek? You know, it, it looked ridiculous if somebody hit you on one cheek and said, hey, please, nah, here also. You know? And if you do it, huh, please don't say you're from Trinity Penang. You know? <laughs> Just give some other church name. Okay? But when we look at Jesus, he himself didn't do it. I, 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 I believe, not I, I think, but I believe that for Jesus, when he said, do not, uh, when, when someone hits you on one cheek, give also the other cheek, what he means is not literally give the other cheek, but what he is saying is that you don't hit back. You don't take revenge. Vengeance belongs to God. But you must still stand on the side of truth and you must demand for justice. And indeed, as Jesus does here, he demands for justice. He says, you, you have hit me. Why have you hit me? If I've said what is wrong, then point that out to me. Are, are, are you following me? You know? So don't go and give the other cheek, you know. Huh? Uh, at least Trinity people shouldn't do that. Right? And, and don't try it with me afterwards. In fact, Jesus gave the other chick, so to speak, by praying for them who had betrayed him, by saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? He never took revenge. He never hit back. But at whatever cost, we must not be threatened we must uphold the truth. 
It may be it is always costly. It cost Jesus his life to stand on the side of truth and eventually be crucified. It may cost us our life also. We can think of a whole lot of people who stood on the side of the truth, spoken the truth, preached the gospel, sacrificed their lives as a result. We are still searching for Pastor Raymond. A few days ago, uh, we had the opportunity, a number of us had the opportunity to meet with the Unity Minister. You, 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 you know him, uh, Veda, the Unity Minister. Council of Churches organized this, invited a few of us. One of the things we told the minister is, where is Pastor Raymond? We told him, don't tell us you do not know. I mean, at least they must have a clue, right? I'm not accusing him. Please don't misunderstand me. Right? But where is Pastor Raymond? Why is it taking so long to find him? The cost, the cost of following Christ, the cost of standing on the side of truth, to be able to say that Jesus is Lord, Jesus and others died defending truth, but they were never threatened by untruth. You and I must not either. I'd actually wanted to use a different illustration. Maybe I'll use it in the next service. Then let me move on to bring my sermon to, the end, to, to an end. I want to end by saying we must sharpen our conscience in, in, in order to maintain spiritual vitality. If our conscience is not clear, then we cannot stand against untruth. But more importantly, if our conscience is not clear, we cannot stand in the presence of God. We cannot see the face of God. So we, we, we need to renew and revive our conscience in, in order to be able to maintain a right relationship with God. If you're always compromising on the truth, always not following your conscience, you cannot see the face of God. I want to just very quickly, by way of conclusion, just say four things as to how we can develop or, or, or sharpen our conscience. Very quickly, the first thing is this. We must sharpen conscience at home. The family is the most important place to help sharpen our conscience by teaching our children what is right and what is wrong and always teach them to do what is right and tell them never do what is wrong and tell them right is always right and wrong is always wrong. And, and right and wrong, truth and untruth, truth and lies, are poles apart. We need to impress them in the hearts of our children. Secondly, we, must, we can and we must develop conscience in the church. In the church, what we must do is that we need to teach biblical righteousness. We need to teach what is right. We need to teach what is wrong based on what the Bible says. 
You see, the, the problem is this. Most churches, we do not teach ethics. The moral principles that must govern our principles and the way we live by, that is not really taught in churches. Today, churches, we want to just kind of entertain people and send them away so that they will come back again and put a little bit more money in the offering bag. In fact, the actual sermon that I wanted to preach this morning, uh, I gave it the title, Not Here for Entertainment. Uh, but that's the different sermon. Maybe I should preach it next time when I come. And really, we are not here for entertainment. We are here for truth. Preach to us the truth. Tell us the truth based on what the scripture says. Thirdly, we need to develop conscience in the schools. There are many teachers, professors here, I believe. And we need to teach that there is truth. And truth can be known. We can study the truth and arrive at what is right and know also what is wrong. And, and, and we must teach that we must pursue truth and put truth into practice. Fourthly, this is another way to develop conscience is by studying the lives of great men and women. You know, moral philosophy and all that doesn't really help, you know. It's too far-fetched for a lot of us. So the best thing to do is look at the lives of great men and women of God and see how they lived, how they suffered for the sake of truth. We can learn it from their biographies more than from moral philosophy. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that is from your word. Help us to apply that truth and live by the truth, no matter what the cost. Help us, Lord, we pray. Sharpen our conscience. Let the world and, and, and things around us, and maybe even some people around us, let them not blunt our conscience. And help us that we do not kill our own conscience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.